Gold and Economic Freedom by Alan Greenspan. An almost hysterical antagonism toward the gold standard is one issue which unites statists of all persuasions. They seem to sense, perhaps more clearly and subtly than many consistent defenders of laissez-faire, that gold and economic freedom are inseparable, that the gold standard is an instrument of laissez-faire and that each implies and requires the other. In order to understand the source of their antagonism, it is necessary first to understand the specific role of gold in a free society. Money is the common denominator of all economic transactions. It is that commodity which serves as a medium of exchange, is universally acceptable to all participants in an exchange economy as payment for their goods or services, and can therefore be used as a standard of market value and as a store of value, i.e. as a means of saving. The existence of such a commodity is a precondition of a division of labor economy. If men did not have some commodity of objective value which was generally acceptable as money, they would have to resort to primitive barter or be forced to live on self-sufficient farms and forego the inestimable advantages of specialization. If men had no means to store value, i.e. to save, neither long-range planning nor exchange could be possible. What medium of exchange will be acceptable to all participants in an economy is not determined arbitrarily. First, the medium of exchange should be durable. In a primitive society of meager wealth, wheat might be sufficiently durable to serve as a medium, since all exchanges would occur only during and immediately after the harvest, leaving no value surplus to store. But where store of value considerations are important, as they are in richer, more civilized societies, the medium of exchange must be a durable commodity, usually a metal. A metal is generally chosen because it is homogeneous and divisible. Every unit is the same as every other, and it can be blended or formed in any quantity. Precious jewels, for example, are neither homogeneous nor divisible. More important, the commodity chosen as a medium must be a luxury. Human desires for luxuries are unlimited and therefore luxury goods are always in demand and will always be acceptable. Wheat is a luxury in underfed civilizations, but not in a prosperous society. Cigarettes ordinarily would not serve as money, but they did in post-World War II Europe, where they were considered a luxury. The term luxury good implies scarcity and high unit value. Having a high unit value, such a good is easily portable. For instance, an ounce of gold is worth a half ton of pig iron. In the early stages of a developing money economy, several media of exchange might be used since a wide variety of commodities would fulfill the foregoing conditions. However, one of the commodities will gradually displace all others by being more widely acceptable. Preferences on what to hold as a store of value will shift to the most widely acceptable commodity, which in turn will make it still more acceptable. The shift is progressive until that commodity becomes the sole medium of exchange. The use of a single medium is highly advantageous for the same reasons that a money economy is superior to a barter economy. It makes exchanges possible on an incalculably wider scale. Whether the single medium is gold, silver, seashells, cattle, or tobacco is optional, depending on the context and development of a given economy. 
In fact, all have been employed at various times as media of exchange. Even in the present century, two major commodities, gold and silver, have been used as international media of exchange, with gold becoming the predominant one. Gold, having both artistic and functional uses, and being relatively scarce, has always been considered a luxury good. It is durable, portable, homogeneous, divisible, and therefore has significant advantages over all other media of exchange. Since the beginning of World War I, it has been virtually the sole international standard of exchange. If all goods and services were to be paid for in gold, large payments would be difficult to execute, and this would tend to limit the extent of a society's division of labor and specialization. Thus, a logical extension of the creation of a medium of exchange is the development of a banking system and credit instruments, banknotes and deposits, which act as a substitute for, but are convertible into, gold. A free banking system based on gold is able to extend credit and thus to create banknotes, currency, and deposits according to the production requirements of the economy. Individual owners of gold are induced by payments of interest to deposit their gold in a bank against which they can draw checks. But since it is rarely the case that all depositors want to withdraw all their gold at the same time, the banker need keep only a fraction of his total deposits in gold as reserves. This enables the banker to loan out more than the amount of his gold deposits, which means that he holds claims to gold rather than gold as security for his deposits. But the amount of loans which he can afford to make is not arbitrary. He has to gauge it in relation to his reserves and to the status of his investments. When banks loan money to finance productive and profitable endeavors, the loans are paid off rapidly and bank credit continues to be generally available. But when the business ventures financed by bank credit are less profitable and slow to pay off, bankers soon find that their loans outstanding are excessive relative to their gold reserves and they begin to curtail new lending, usually by charging higher interest rates. This tends to restrict the financing of new ventures and requires the existing borrowers to improve their profitability before they can obtain credit for further expansion. Thus, under the gold standard, a free banking system stands as the protector of an economy's stability and balanced growth. When gold is accepted as the medium of exchange by most or all nations, an unhampered free international gold standard serves to foster a worldwide division of labor and the broadest international trade. Even though the units of exchange the dollar, the pound, the franc, etc., differ from country to country. When all are defined in terms of gold, the economies of the different countries act as one, so long as there are no restraints on trade or on the movement of capital. Credit, interest rates, and prices tend to follow similar patterns in all countries. For example, if banks in one country extend credit too liberally, interest rates in that country will tend to fall, inducing depositors to shift their gold to higher interest-paying banks in other countries. This will immediately cause a shortage of bank reserves in the easy-money country, inducing tighter credit standards and a return to competitively higher interest rates again. A fully free banking system and fully consistent gold standard have not as yet been achieved, but prior to World War I, the banking system in the United States and in most of the world was based on gold, 
and even though governments intervened occasionally, banking was more free than controlled. Periodically, as a result of overly rapid credit expansion, banks became loaned up to the limit of their gold reserves. Interest rates rose sharply, new credit was cut off, and the economy went into a sharp but short-lived recession. Compared with the depressions of 1920 and 1932, the pre-World War I business declines were mild indeed. It was limited gold reserves that stopped the unbalanced expansions of business activity before they could develop into the post-World War I type of disaster. The readjustment periods were short and the economies quickly re-established a sound basis to resume expansion. But the process of cure was misdiagnosed as the disease. If shortage of bank reserves was causing a business decline, argued economic interventionists, why not find a way of supplying increased reserves to the banks so they never need be short? If banks can continue to loan money indefinitely, it was claimed, there need never be any slumps in business. And so, the Federal Reserve System was organized in 1913. Welcome to the Noted Bitcoin Podcast. Uh, this is Pierre Rochard. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Goldstein, a.k.a. Bitstein. How's it going, man? Going well. Very well. I'm, I'm a little bit congested today, so if, if my voice is a little different, that's uh, that's the explanation why. You're, you're going too hard on the node launcher. I, You know, I, I, I am going hard on it. Um, I, I got to say, it's, uh, it's interesting to, like be the product manager on something that you're also the engineer on. Now I found a designer, so uh, that, that helps a lot, but um, it would be nice if I had like, well, it's weird because I'm just not used to making like product type decisions. Right. Like, so the, the hardest one I found, right. Uh, is the hard drive issue, which is that basically you need like, 200 gigs of disk space if you want to avoid pruning give or take a little bit but really you want more than that because the blockchain is going to continue increasing uh because unfortunately we did not you know decrease the block weight limit uh sufficiently <laughs> uh and so you, you need more than that to, to like if you're going to have this node on for like a year um you know tack on like 50 gigs or whatever that is um and then the other issue is the the uh, the alternative is you prune, right? And so uh, pruning when you run your Bitcoin full node pruning, uh, you you do download the whole blockchain still. It's just that you discard blocks uh, that take up more than X number of megabytes. So um, I think I, right now I have it set on the node launcher to be like seven gigabytes of blocks that it keeps. Um, which should give you like ample space. The 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 is, re- that, is that meaning seven of seven gigabytes of the latest? Yes, right. The yeah. Does the it latest. include any block that specifically deals with the chain of signatures for your coins? Uh, no, this stores all blocks because um, LND on its end, when it needs to do a rescan uh, for its wallets, uh, it'll. It'll be able to rescan even when it's pruned, um, 
And so let's oh, say- Oh, I see. So it's, it's pruned in the sense that it's just not putting it into the other database. It still has the raw block data. Well, uh, no, it, it doesn't. Um, so it, it keeps- it, it I'm keeps, outing myself right now. Yeah, no. So <laughs> let's say a block is one megabyte on average. Um, uh, and so seven, seven gigabytes means you've got 7,000 blocks on, on, on your drive. Uh, so it's going to be the most recent 7,000 blocks. Okay. So if you created your LND wallet before those 7,000 blocks and you try to recover using the seed, it won't work, right? Because the birthday, like it won't find the block that it's looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but in any other situation, pruning works fine. Uh, and so the the issue that came around uh, that affected BTC Pay Server, which aggressively was pruning, is that LND had an, a bug, which essentially required you to rescan the uh, the blockchain since since your wallet's birthday. And so a lot of people, the birthday was before the last pruned block, um, and that created a problem for Nicholas Dorier. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's something that I've been thinking a lot about, uh, and it's really it is a product question, and I, like Neutrino is going to be nice for avoiding this altogether, um, but I still think that it is a good idea to run a full node, and I still think that running a pruned full node is better than not running a full node. Um, obviously, running an unpruned, quote unquote, archival node is the uh, remains the gold standard. Uh, one of the advantages there, not only is there the rescanning issue, um, but also you uh, pruning is incompatible with the transaction index. And there's there's a pull request I saw uh, from Jonas Schinelli that made it so that's not the case, but uh, that has not gotten merged in and I don't know that it will. It seemed to be lingering. Um, but basically, the transaction index allows LND to find transactions more quickly than uh, otherwise. It has to um, it has to go to it has to like scan the blocks or something, uh, but it's it's just slower. Um, actually, I think it, it it has the block. Basically, it has to go get the block on disk instead of going to the index. I think is is the issue, but uh, it's it's not really a noticeable performance change. So that's not the reason I would give for. For running, for for being weary about pruning, mm -hmm. yeah. And I know you also had the, uh, you know, the the rough drafts for uh, a logo. Oh yeah, 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 very aggressive. Yeah, so it's it's funny. Like um, at some point, uh, I had some kind of vision of uh, like the, in the U.S. military, like in the Air Force, they have these insignia or like heraldry type things that um have like a wildcat or and also the nsa has like creepy ones as well uh for their panopticon um which one there's one that has the op the octopus is that the nsa yeah i think that one like became famous because of uh what's his face snowden yes here it is uh usa 247 um Oh, this was a reconnaissance. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this was not this was not NSA exactly. So but. I wanted to repurpose that imagery uh, in Bitcoin terms. And obviously, like the animal would be like a honey badger uh, was the immediate thing that came to mind. 
And then they do, they do often in these, uh, maybe this is what jogged my interest. They often have a lightning bolt um, mm -hmm. of some kind or another in these uh, images. Um, and so having the honey badger holding onto the lightning bolt while uh, putting on a fierce face uh, seemed like a good approach. Now, I think that like I I had this good idea and then I was trying to think of what to use it for basically. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll make the icon of the node launcher this. Uh, but people were up in arms about that uh, because, and they're right, like it, it doesn't make for a particularly good <laughs> icon per se. Um, but it's an awesome mascot, and and the the way I got like this vision uh, built was just going on Fiverr and finding this dude who like makes these mascots for esports teams. And I was like, all right, if you can do esports teams, you can do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> we have the greatest esports team. Yeah, it's called exactly. Bitcoin Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> and we're <Yeah>. winning. <laughs> Absolutely. So I I think I'm gonna. I think I'm going to, so I, I took uh, the honey badger image and I just made it the mascot for, for my main net uh, lightning node. So nice. if people want to connect to my lightning node, it's um, just go to mainnet.node.lightningpoweruser.com and uh, just go to my Twitter. If you can't find it, it'll be in a tweet up there. Um, what and, I sort of had in my mind was yeah. so I, I showed you the the picture. I, I love that that play on the classic uh, Soviet propaganda, yeah. holding the Bitcoin symbol. And uh, I, seriously, if I could get just Soviet propaganda Bitcoin posters all over my wall, I would. Um, Isn't that what but, Jordan Peterson did? I think. Uh, yeah, but but he doesn't have Bitcoin yet. Oh yeah, yeah, no, that's true. <laughs> His is like actual, you know, gulag stuff um yeah <laughs> Man, but if, uh, if, if the uh, people in our audience are not listening to the uh, jocko podcast as uh, j-o-c-k-o it's completely unrelated to bitcoin but i think it's very related to bitcoin uh and so go check it out because the the most recent episode that i listened to was about the gulag archipelago and then the one before was with jordan pearson when they talked about it uh and yeah yeah like, it's funny, Jocko is reading a passage from Thomas Sowell, uh, Basic Economics or something. Uh, so he's definitely gone down the uh, free market uh, rabbit hole there. Yeah, he's a good American. I mean, yeah, if you would. Um, I was just imagining something like, you know, some kind of like honey badger, like on a rocket ship preparing to launch. That's the note launcher is like you're, yeah. you're getting ready to... The, the challenge with these application icons is that you've you've got limited real estate, and That's so you got to have yeah. like a very clear, high contrast, minimalist look. And so, like if you look at like the icons in your dock, you'll see that they're they're they try to keep it simple. Um, so I've got a, uh, but yeah, rocket rocket imagery is obviously, uh, and then. One thing that I liked, someone sent me a sketch that was the honey badger holding a rocket launcher from like Unreal Tournament. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to take that sketch. I'm going to go back to the guy who made uh, the honey badger logo for me. I'm going to be like, hey, can you like do this again? Um, with, but with a rocket the, launcher. <laughs> yeah. And it's not so much for the logo. Like it's just so that I can use it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna have him start making in, like graphics for me that I can just uh, tweet at people that are like hyper aggressive honey badger. 
I mean, look, this is the real point of making money in the world is so that you have more of a stash to do better trolling with. You need to fund yeah. trolling expeditions. Yeah, and so maybe what I should do with, uh, now that I have this uh, lightning node up, I need to like have a web store where you can buy these honey badgers as like a, um, a Velcro patch, a sticker. Um, you know also, can... one oh, of the sure. criticisms was that they're too um, collegiate sports-like. And so that, that got me thinking like, I need to do like hockey, jersey, soccer, you know, <laughs> t-shirt, whatever thing. Uh, so that people can can get their uh, Bitcoin swag on. Yeah, well, you know, next Bitcoin bowl, you'll be ready. <laughs> uh, and, and one of the things I was I was I was kind of like humorously searching for, uh, but also seriously, uh, custom uh, hockey jerseys. And you know, like you'll have like your local hockey league, and they'll actually they'll be sponsored by the, like the local Ford dealership or something. And so they're used to like putting on like sponsorship things. And so I wanted to put like the Segwit logo on there, the Blockstream logo, uh, the Chain Code Labs logo, like everyone, you know, the Casa Node uh, logo, like all, all the different. Yeah, future, we, we could just do that, you know. Yeah. I, the, oh, I'm not point, asking. I'm not going to ask for their permission or their sponsorship money. I'm just going to steal their logo and put it on there. Uh, oh, oh, I thought you know I was taking this literally. We'd get this on on hockey jerseys uh on the rink you know like dogecoin oh. did with uh NASCAR. yeah we should sponsor a minor league hockey team um and and get them sporting our outfit <laughs> <laughs> although i would you know there's like videos of of really bad hockey fights i gotta see this yeah we're like they're they're just going at each other I would I would tell them as a condition of them getting our jersey, they have to get us at least one good video of like a solid hockey fight uh, with them wearing our honey badger outfit versus a guy that was wearing the Dogecoin outfit. Yeah, Dogecoin. I mean, I actually, yeah, I was gonna say Ethereum or something like that, but uh, Dogecoin's fine. Dogecoin's <laughs> fine. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so th that's that's what I've been up to, just just memeing. Um, all right, let's go look at some of the questions from the audience. I, I didn't uh, I didn't pre-screen any questions, so it's going to be by the seat of our pants. Um, let's see. How, how's your week been, Michael? Uh, it's been good. Just uh, you know, I've been coding away. It's awesome. been my life. Um, nothing I can talk about, unfortunately, but, yeah. um, Bitcoin stuff nonetheless. Excellent. Excellent. It's, there's always, there's always something cooking in the kitchen, whether people know about it or not. Um, all right. Hmm. Okay. Interesting question. This is like, this is, this is a good interview question. If I was interviewing someone to be like a Bitcoin engineer, um, this is the question I would ask them. What, what is the current maximum number of new users per day that can start transacting on the Bitcoin Lightning Network for the first time based on current on-chain transaction capacity slash new channel formation requirements. Can the maximum rate of new user adoption be increased? Yes. I mean, that's definitely an interesting question. I don't, I don't well, have well, the, the second question is kind of silly. It's like, 
can the maximum be increased? It's like, well, that's not really the maximum now, is it? If it can be increased. Uh, to be fair, though, like, because if we, if we think about this question, so yeah. up front, I don't have the numbers and I'm not going to sit here and make you all listen to me no, look for the it, exact it, the, the sizes and stuff. But, um, you know, it, there is some maximum of how much block space there is and, you know, however much space opening a channel takes up. Um, and thus, that would be, you know, what this maximum is if everyone who is using block space um, was using it to open a, uh, a lightning okay, channel. So, so let's let's do the math here. I, I just did some quick googling because I don't know this off the top of my head. Um, but basically, da, 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 how many transactions per block if they're all Segwit, right? So if the if they're all spending Segwit outputs is really the uh, the thing. Um, I think it's twelve thousand is the number, the magic number. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I know that currently, I think that um, because they're multi-sig, uh, lightning uh, transactions take up a little more space. So okay. let's call it 10,000 per block. And then there's um, six blocks in an hour. And then there's 24 hours in a day. That's 60,000 times 24. So... Does that sound right? A million four hundred forty thousand transactions a day. I guess when people talk about like six transactions per second, that adds up, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, there are quite a few seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. I mean, that, I think my math is is correct there. Uh, Ten thousand times six times twenty four. Um, we'll hear about it from our audience if if uh, we're completely wrong. Um, oh, and let me throw the YouTube link up. Let's see, uh, just so that we have a little more live viewers. Um, so yeah, so a million four hundred forty thousand per day. I mean, that's really like that's pushing it, right? That's that's really the 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 I'm assuming the, like an extreme segwit maximum. Yeah, yeah. This is this is segwit maximalism, <laughs> um, and so. Like, let's think about how many Bitcoin users there are today. Um, this podcast has about 5,000, according to SoundCloud, which I think is highly inflated, but other people tell me that it's not, uh, about 5,000 regular listeners on the noted Bitcoin podcast. And we so love each and every one of you. We could get everyone, every one of you listeners onboarded in one block. So let's think about that. Now, the other issue, though, and this is this is where now now we're getting so that's I think that's kind of the uh, naive uh, like first iteration of this answer. Uh, the next iteration is that well, you know, every user is not opening one uh, channel. Let's say they're opening eight uh, per. Um, so that's one hundred eighty thousand people per day uh, would be able to open eight channels um, and. That assumes like no no turnover, right? Of of like closing channels. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, but yeah, I, you know, it's funny. Yeah, go but, ahead. But then the question, I mean, so this is where you know you were making fun of the the idea of like a maximum rate. But if you can increase it, it wouldn't be the maximum rate. However, you know, when we had Alex Bosworth on, he was telling us about all kinds of interesting methods of 
kind of like opening extra channels. Like th there's all kinds of voodoo that the lightning guys are working on such that there might actually be a way to kind of create more channels from channels. <laughs> yeah. Um, all Channel of that factories. is still way over my head, unfortunately. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I barely understand. Uh, the, the, it's funny, like the, the, the knowledge level I have about mirrors, like the code I've written, it's not like I've read ahead to know what's going on <laughs> ahead of that. So uh, it's still uh, very rudimentary by by Lightning Network expert standards. So that, that's why we have... An another thing would be, um, you know, if, if Schnorr signatures are mm -hmm. released, um, I think that would, you know, help decrease the size of the multi-sig um, being used for Lightning, in which case you'd have more space uh, for more uh, channel opening and closing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're, we're not even talking yet about like hosted Lightning Network, uh, you mm -hmm. know, solutions. And uh, there are people coming out with those. And so those obviously mean that um, they can onboard an infinite number of people basically, right? Because they're not really opening an on-chain transaction for each one. Uh, it's just this big pot of money that is divided up in their SQL database. Now, obviously, I you know it's not my favorite kind of scaling, but it is a form of scaling. Uh, let's see. Do we? Uh, is there anything else on? All I know is I use my Cash App card every time I go to Whole Foods. Yeah, uh, ten percent every time. Some magic right there. That's very impressive. Very <laughs> impressive. Yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what Square does or what the Cash App does with Lightning. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know what their plans are. I should go uh, go talk with Miles. Um, so, well, the other thing, too, is that like 180,000 per, per day, uh, there's how many like Coinbase users like not more than 20 million, I think it was. It's something absurd. I mean, it, it's it's high enough that the fact exists that not everyone who is on Coinbase can own an entire Bitcoin. Right. Let the yeah. FOMO set in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let the games begin. Who will get their hands on one whole Bitcoin? Um, and uh, yeah, I, and I'm sure that like uh, of the people who are registered, like... It's probably a power law distribution in terms of how many Bitcoins they own. Uh, right. I mean, there's probably a lot of accounts that have nothing in, in them. And then you got to look at like how many people are actually interested in using Bitcoin as a medium of exchange and not just as like, quote unquote, a store of value. And so uh, that's an even smaller universe. So I think that like we've got an excess amount of capacity right now by, by any measure. If I look at like the mempool is consistently emptying out, uh, transaction fees are at rock bottom. Uh, clearly we have, uh, plenty of space for people who want to join the, the lightning network. And, and frankly, like if, if you want to be sending Bitcoin payments during the next bull market, when the price is going through the roof again, um, you're going to want to have channels open already. Uh, so I would definitely recommend, uh, getting ahead of that. Absolutely. If, if you want to do that, like if, if you don't, you can just sit on your transactions on your UTXOs like you did during the last bull market and uh, use your credit card. Uh, so there's there's nothing wrong with that either. It's just 
diff different preferences. People are, are in different situations, different hodling categories, different time preferences. Um, yeah. This uh, this last question I thought was interesting uh, from Dominic. Uh, to what extent should we consider the Bitcoin experiment also an experiment of whether Austrians or mainstream economists are right? Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> this guy is not a Kantian. <laughs> uh, no, this. Uh, <laughs> I should just give the uh, Austrian economics is a priori, so we don't do experiments. Now, uh, please go away. Uh, back to the Bitcoin podcast. Uh, no, um, that's that's kind of that's the troll answer. But the real answer is that uh, I think to a large extent, right on mm -hmm. on the issue of of sound money, basically. Yes, I mean the the only the only caveat to me would basically be if there is an unknown reason why Bitcoin as a technical system can't work. Yeah, I mean, um, if there's an inflation bug, like that's that's not an indictment of Austrian economics. That's an indictment. Right, but of also, economics. if uh, I, I'm I'm talking like I'm I'm just Incentive. this is yeah some yeah. some weird thing like that we just didn't catch on to until that, suddenly a bunch of people are trying to use it and outside of the monetary economics, if if there's something there. Yes, but given all of that, which you know, so far we have <laughs> a lot of reason to believe that Bitcoin is going to be just fine. Um, yeah, no, I, I basically do think uh, that uh, th th that's basically the the case that it 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 will it'll show um, to the people who are unable to understand a priori. Uh, you know, deductive uh, economic reasoning uh, to be able to show them empirically uh, that you know uh, Bitcoin is is superior money. Although I'm sure they'll, they, they, these these people may very well always continue to rationalize because uh, there's also you know uh, uh, other motivations um, in their reasoning, um, such as the fact that you know Paul Paul Krugman benefits from. Um, the system existing to funnel money to him um, to to bloviate about stuff. So, um, in terms of being able to like actually get someone to to believe anything, I mean, I I used to have this this notion that's like, oh man, Bitcoin's going to turn everyone into Austrians, and it's definitely increased the it, it's it's brought in a lot of new Austrians, uh, which has been fantastic. Um, but I don't know that necessarily the people. Uh, the people at large will magically start understanding praxeology so, or even uh, sound money. I, I think I think that I, I completely disagree with you on this. This is interesting uh, because I, I think that, well, I, I think that like Keynesianism and uh, kind of the, the statist view on money prevailed because statist money prevailed, uh -huh. right? And so uh, w without that status money, like, you know, Safety Dean talks about how all the, all the economists employed by the Fed, all, you know, like so many macroeconomists get money from the Fed, so many monetary economists get money from the Fed, uh, that really it's like they, they employ the macroeconomics profession uh, at the highest levels. Uh, and even if it's just like where they do like a two-year, you know, like little rotation into the fed and out and they're doing fed research and whatnot like they're all on the fed money train and so 
if you take that away, first of all, and okay, the other okay, so if, if I also think that, for example, with the scaling debate, the fact that we are where we are today is a massive vindication for the small block camp and has led to more people like thinking that we're essentially right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we might still be wrong, right? Like it might still be the case that uh, on-chain, on-chain scaling with uh, Satoshi's vision is actually the future. Uh, I'd assign probability of approximately 0% <laughs> to that. But um, nevertheless, like I think that uh, p- people like to the victor goes to spoils. And mm-hmm. I think that applies from like intellectually as well. Um, so the the victor in reality uh, gets like intellectual credibility, even if his arguments were bad. And uh, the reason he won was like unrelated to uh, the economic arguments being put forth. And so like, I think Fiat won because it had such low transaction costs, broadly speaking, uh, mm-hmm. versus gold. And uh, th- there's also kind of the centralization aspect of it and state violence. Um, but anyway... I think that if if Bitcoin wins, uh, then suddenly the Keynesians are much less appealing, especially for like, like if you're new to economics and you're studying macro and and Bitcoin has destroyed the US dollar, like what what, what do you make of the person explaining to you how the Fed works? It's like, well, the Fed doesn't exist anymore. Why are you teaching us this? It's like if you were teaching a... Um, you know, astrology in an astronomy class or, or teaching <laughs> uh, in a metallurgy class, you're, you're learning about um, alchemy and alchemy. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's a fair point. It's actually, it's, it, I, I don't even know why, what I was trying to get at. Perhaps, perhaps I was thinking of like a, a time frame thing. Um, well, I do think also, you make a, yeah. a good point. It's like, I, I, I just, I guess what I was trying to say is like the, the Paul Krugman's of the world they're just going to have to die off. Um, yeah. Like Paul Krugman won't capitulate, at least not publicly. I'm sure it, uh, he'll, he'll have to have Bitcoins in order to you know, survive, uh, but he won't, you know, publicly enjoy it. Um, he'll have his friends lend him Bitcoin so he doesn't get his hands dirty. <laughs> it's like, that would be a good, uh, almost like a Kirby enthusiasm episode where like Paul Krugman's like allergic to handling Bitcoins. And so he has to have like, a Shabbos Goyim, essentially, uh, for <laughs> handling Bitcoin. Um, oh, so the other thing I was going to say, though, I, I think that you're right on uh, the issue of, like, maybe it warms people to the idea of sound money and, like, the idea of, like, easy money and credit money kind of, like, fades uh, into obscurity. But does it bring people around to praxeology itself? Uh, right, right. Versus, it's not going to magically going to make them like understand the finer details no. of Musasian economic theory. Uh, but I do think you, you you make some good points, and they're actually more in line with most of what I actually say. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, as you were saying, is like, yeah, what am I saying here? Um, no, it's actually, okay. I, we can. We're in an echo chamber, so ultimately, we'll end up agreeing <laughs> on everything. Well, I had had that thread a, a while back talking about that um, article that you had actually introduced to me. Um, probably in like 2012, I think, by Jeffrey Rogers Hummel, um, called uh, "The Will to Be Free: The Role of Ideology in National Defense." Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're basically, making the argument that people, you know, because national defense is sort of the the crucial question for the anarcho-capitalist. 
It's like, yeah, you can have all this free market, but ultimately, how are you going to defend at this at at at, at scale, right? Uh, your property, and uh, one of the like basically what what Hummel is getting at is that th with enough capital, there is likely a solution. There's there's endless literature from anarcho capitalists about um, you know different different methods of providing the service. Um, in a much more optimal fashion than the nation state as we know it provides it. Um, Bob Murphy's chaos theory is a good um, introduction to that line of thought if if uh, listeners are interested. But um, basically what Hummel is, is arguing is that, you know, in order for you to build that, you actually have to have the capital to deploy to do it. And once you're starting to deploy that capital into these services to provide it, suddenly it, it, it wins people over at the margins simply by, you know, being lower transaction costs or just, you know, better user experience, whatever, you know, customer service, whatever it may be. Um, and it's winning them over at the margins. And as you win someone over economically, it becomes much harder to defend the old status quo. It's like if it's it's like the the weird feeling you get when someone, you know, comes up to you, you know, if someone had come up to you and say like, you know, try to try to sell you on the virtues of taking taking a taxi, as opposed to an Uber, yeah. um, even though you know what, like five ten years ago, the idea of getting in a stranger's car, you know, was absolutely absurd. Um, so likewise, this, this could happen for, for a whole array of industries and Uber as an example, just gives us, you know, insight to, to one specific domain. And so likewise with Bitcoin, as Bitcoin grows and wins people, you know, over at the margins, you know, in this process of hyper Bitcoinization, you know, if you're that person, you wake up and suddenly like your sound money has, you know, appreciated value enough that, you know, it it makes a difference in your life. It's going to be pretty hard for you to not appreciate uh, that, that good um, and, and want to know more about uh, what it was that just made you more wealthy. And I don't necessarily mean that in the case of like uh, uh, knowing more as in like, they're going to go read mastering Bitcoin or whatever, but knowing more in terms of, how how do I make use of this thing more and more in my in my life to make it better? Yeah, I mean it's it's like a a, a lab rat, you know, getting some cocaine. Uh, you you go back to that and you start pressing the button more because you're like, where'd that come from? <laughs> um, I think you made good points though about the the intellectual class as well. Yeah, uh, the fact that like actually, and I, I've said this before because uh, you know I remember someone asking me at the the Bitcoin conference back in uh, July. Uh, you know, about, about sort of the, you know, what, what are narratives that you give to people? And I explained that, you know, if you actually sit down with most people and just explain sound money in just basic terms, isn't a, a easily understood concept, which is understandable because everyone uses money. And even if, you know, not everyone can explain the Fed, uh, it's a very difficult thing to explain that requires, you know, you know, a lot of study. Um, you you still understand it's like well i have this money because i want to buy things and i don't want to wake up tomorrow and be able to buy fewer things you know i you know you you understand people people understand why you know 
gold makes sense. You know, they understand, you know, why you would want a durable money and a fungible money and and all of that. So, like the basics of the economics and you know, is very easy to grasp. And yeah, they like won over, and yet all of their economics is purposefully, you know, very very opaque um, with all kinds of jargon and mathematics. Um, that's that's constructed not because mathematics makes for better economics, but because it you know kind of makes you look smart, even if you're not necessarily doing better logic under the hood. Um, yeah. So if <laughs> yeah, if if you actually if you rob the funding of those intellectuals, <laughs> what by by what means are they going to be able to to pitch people? Because well, in fact, if just okay, I've got a suggestion for you. Okay, this just came to mind. <laughs> Okay, so his question is framed as if these are like causally tied together in one direction of if Bitcoin succeeds in exper- as an experiment, that is a vindication of Austrian economics. Uh-huh. If it fails, if Bitcoin fails as an experiment, you know, f- for and, and fails in the sense that it does not gain, uh, you know, a- adoption beyond just like fringe elements, just like gold. Um, so I think that there is a scenario, hypothetically, theoretically possible, not that I think this is the case at all, where Bitcoin as an experiment is highly successful and we reach 100% adoption and the US dollar gets eliminated. But mainstream economics is vindicated in that we enter like a massive deflationary Great Depression where you know it's, it's like permanent Dust Bowl era uh, 30% unemployment and because there's just not enough money in the system, you know, like the classic, like Keynesian type argument is like, Oh, they turned out to be right that we actually, we did need inflationary money to have economic growth. And, uh, look at us now. Uh, aren't, aren't we idiots? Yes. So I guess, uh, because the Keynesians tend to value a more, you know, empirical experimental basis of economics, it is, it is crucial that they help us uh, get global adoption of Bitcoin to show the effects because otherwise they will never be able to truly prove their point um, about the problems of deflationary yeah. money because their arguments around the Great Depression are, are you know, simply not, they don't, they don't stand up to scrutiny. And I think Bitcoin, because of its pure monetary economics, that would be the finest experiment they could do. So to satisfy the Keynesians, they, they must be helping us uh, make Bitcoin happen. I, I completely agree. This is I the think pursuit it's, of science, people. Yeah, it's for the science. And it's a mirror image of their argument, which like, you know, be like, okay, well, hey, Ocasio, you want to like try socialism and, you know, we'll end up like the Soviet Union or Cuba. And, and they'll be like, oh, no, but those aren't real socialism. Or like, uh, yeah, but they didn't like, go all the way. They weren't like full communists uh, or whatever. Uh, we can be like, oh no, the, the gold standard was not real sound money. Like gold is, is very inflationary. Fractional reserve banking is very inflationary. Uh, we need to try it even harder. Uh, well, it's actually, it's actually funny how, you know, I'm, I've, our, our rhetoric, like since, since 2012, when we got into Bitcoin, you know, we do sneer at gold. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like we kind of laugh at it now. It's like, yeah, of course, fiat won. You right. know, it's gold. Gold was, uh, you know, uh, pwned to begin with. 
and fiat just you know at least gave us better benefits um in the meantime um and uh yeah like <laughs> like gold gold really isn't as good of, like it, it's just not as good of money it it was okay for however long it lasted, but um, and this is somewhere where like I I often like I I I chafe at uh, Saifedean's love for gold because I I I got over that really quickly. Uh, but in my you know in his defense, I was a silver bug before this, so I was like an altcoiner already on the road to you know betraying the gold <laughs> standard. Uh, yeah. So yeah, you were the you were the light coiner of precious metals. I, I absolutely was. <laughs> I'm, you know, yeah. The the silver bugs they say to the gold bugs, well, we're like the light coin to your Bitcoin. Exactly. <laughs> I still have a silver round. You know, I I I do love you know the image of Ron Paul holding up a silver round to yeah. Ben Bernanke. Um, but I, I still have one of those just to to show my grandkids. It's like, hey, grandkids. I, I literally thought that this would be money one day. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, there's still like, there's, there's, I, I enjoy holding silver and gold, like physically in my hands and like playing with it essentially. Like it's got a certain feel to it that as much as we want it to be the case, UTXOs do not have. Um, is that, is that um, simply because it's, uh, because you know it's a scarce good? Rather than it's like, it's not like if someone gave you something but and they said, oh, this isn't real gold, but it's just like gold, would you have the same feeling? Um, so I don't know, because I think uh, I think that there's some of it that's like reptilian, like it hits a certain part of your brain. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's be, that's due to millennia of of training. Um, right. Well, so like even the, the sound news. of gold coins, like you know how it makes that distinct oh, just like a clink. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm. you can just hear that from a mile away. Why is that? I think it's because your your ears were like fine tuned to listen for it. Um, evolutionary but, pressures towards. Yeah, I, exactly. I wonder what evolutionary pressures there will be towards UTXOs. Yeah, that's that's but, interesting. Uh, the, the sound of a trezor being plugged in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh the good news if you really just like the fuel of gold and it has nothing to do with this um internal knowledge about the nature of of gold scarcity or whatever um you know soon enough bitcoin will be funding more you know like asteroid mining and bringing back as much gold as you want so you can have your own um you know scrooge mcduck swimming pool full of gold we got to make it happen. Although, <laughs> yeah. I, oh, for one of the intros to the uh, noted podcast, like a year ago, I had a clip uh, from Family Guy yes. of Peter <laughs> jumping into the gold and wrecking himself against it. It's really funny. I think that was the intro to the one with merch when we talked about coin selection. Is I think I that was, yeah. So go back in the archives, listen to just to the intro. No, I'm kidding. Uh, listen to the whole episode. It was a very interesting episode. Um, and you'll learn about UTXOs, which you have to know about to figure out how lightning yes. works. Merch will guide us uh, to, to build the craft, the perfect UTXOs such that, you know, we can, we can um, put humanity's evolution forward uh, on a great path. 
Yeah, merch is the Bitcoin equivalent of like numismatics. You know, like the the coin collectors who have the uh, the magnifying glass and they're like <laughs> looking at the coin. That's that's who I think of as you know, like merch is that for Bitcoin. It's like, oh, this is a very fine UTXO you have here. <laughs> what an honor for you to bring this to me. There's gonna be like UTXO collectors. Yeah, big conferences. Sotheby's is gonna have auctions for just How like auction fine out? UTXOs. Here was a UTXO that we thought was lost forever, but yeah. we found it on an old hard drive in a Beijing landfill. And so basically, they're they're auctioning off the opportunity to use it as an input uh, for a transfer to your wallet, because like otherwise. Like, how would you trust that they don't still have the private key? And then, you know. Yeah. Well, I think that would also be like, uh, you know, hip hop has very much, you know, you know, there's a there's a drive to display, you know, conspicuous consumption. Oh, yeah. You know, as a sign of wealth and all of that. Um, So to be able to destroy Bitcoin days is going to be very, very powerful signal. It's like, you know how rich I am? There's, well, there's, yeah, know, I mean, they have like $10,000 bottle of champagne, you know, at the, at the club popping bottles. Instead, you'll be, uh, uh, signing transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Send, send to the stripper, you know, just like a, like I'm, I'm getting rid of this beautiful UTXO. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a fine future we're, we're building here. For, I do expect, I mean, on, on the same path, I expect that Bitcoin to, you know, in many ways bring back, you know, various craftsmen, you know, mentalities oh, and, yeah. and behaviors. Uh, I, did you listen to, you know, we, we can't have an episode without me- mentioning Stefan Lavera. Of course. Uh, did you listen to the episode with Para Byland? Uh No, I have not yet. I'm okay, so uh, yeah. I highly recommend it. He was basically arguing... Um, the reasons why we should believe that in a free market, the size of a firm would actually be smaller. Mm. Uh, because in the free market, whether it's sort of, you know, regulation where you have regulatory capture so that, you know, big, big firms can use regulation against smaller firms so that they can beat out competition. Um, you also have, you know, a lot of uh, bureaucratic nonsense that firms have to deal with. And of course, if you have a bunch of bureaucratic nonsense, you have to hire a lot of people to be doing that and you're wasting all that capital. And he was positing that in a, a free market, you'd have you know much smaller firms. You'd have more, um, more and smaller. And uh, I think that's great. I think we're going Im- like, to, I can imagine a future of, of much more sort of, uh, shall we say like uh, handcrafted software yeah, so speaking of handcrafted software, uh, I, I set up my uh, routing node by doing a dynamic DNS setup with AWS. And essentially, I'm, I'm hosting from home the node. And uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. I'm sure now that I've said that, I'm sure I'm going to get like attacked and denial of service <laughs> and my internet yeah. will suck. But um, <laughs> in in the off chance that the world is not full of uh, annoying people, uh, this could actually be a nice setup. Maybe I'll have to put like Cloudflare in front of it or some some kind of denial of service protection. But uh-huh. um, you know, then having like BTC Pay Server. Uh, okay, well now 
all you need is like uh, the delivery mechanism. I think you're going to have uh, autonomous driverless or, uh, you know, transportation mm-hmm. uh, that'll s- ship your goods to any GPS coordinate in the world, um, you know, by land, sea or air. Uh, and that's really going to like make it so that you don't have to be Amazon to, to be fulfilling orders. Um, or, you know, you'll use Amazon <laughs> as a, uh, as a service provider, but they're not necessarily taking a percentage of your sales. Um, and it essentially is like a, a way of, you know, like Amazon, it's strange. They allowed a bunch of people to come on their platform as like resellers or, you know, essentially participants in their marketplace. And then Amazon looks at what is selling well and then starts selling it themselves and squeezes out or even kicks off people who are selling it. Uh, You know, it's like a bizarre dystopian free market uh, where you, you, you get censored by Amazon essentially uh, based on how well you do. I can't get out of my mind. South parks, uh, caricature of jeff bezos i haven't seen that yet (laughs) he has a he has a giant brain yeah and uh speaks telepathically oh okay i'll have to check that (laughs) out it sounds funny uh yeah i mean it's it's all going for a good cause right it's it's going towards jeff bezos's space travel but uh it's still i think that the the promise of bitcoin is that now without the payment processing uh you know needing to be centralized Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually with drones and autonomous robots, you can decentralize the delivery mechanism as well. Uh, then we can have really a, a flourishing like global Etsy market. Uh, yeah, for, uh, yeah. High quality craftsmanship. And it's funny. Because, like, yeah. Oh, well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as, as I work on software more and more, like th- there is so- software is something that is very personal. Yeah. You know, there's there's tools that only you and five other people in the world would need and you need it in a very specific way. Um, and uh, it, it not not all software has to appeal to large audiences. And I think I think Silicon Valley has has kind of warped a lot of people's thoughts about this because we always think of like successful tech as, oh, you've you know, exited at, you know, you know, you're a unicorn or, you know, Google bought you for a hundred million dollars or whatever. And so we, we think of successful technology as that, as opposed to, you know, just building things, um, for a, a small, but, uh, dedicated user base, um, that needs it for a very specific purpose. Yeah. And Uh, especially like where, you, the creator is also the user. Like that's what I like about open source a lot is that it's, it's mostly people scratching their own itch. Yes. Um, and I think that that results in just better. Well, I don't know if it results in better software. <laughs> it, it results in software that I like better. I don't know that uh, it meets other people's preferences. Yeah. I, I, it'd be great to, if, uh, we could get our friend on uh, one day to just, you know, go on about his, his uh, complaints about modern software engineering. Yeah. 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 I know who you're talking about, <laughs> but um, I think that he, he's got to get fired from his job first, but he's, <laughs> he's so competent that he's never going to get fired. He's got to quit. 
but I, th I think that he makes a good living. So I don't know yeah. that we'll be able to have him on anytime soon. Probably the, the reason though, there yeah. is though, is just like, I, I also wonder, it's like, you know, in, in what ways, you know, hopefully sound money, long time preference and all of that. I, perhaps we can, we can expect uh, software engineering to um, increase in quality yeah. um, as people move from maybe writing just like really uh, kind of crappy JavaScript apps built on bloated platforms um, to more, you know, just <laughs> well-designed, well-performing software. Yeah. And I, I think that what contributed a lot to the bloating of software was that was Moore's law and that's has come to an end. Uh, and so I think that now, now that computing resources are getting scarcer and scarcer, and if everyone has an Electron app that takes up 500 megabytes of RAM, that adds up rather quickly. And now you're on a resource constrained system, even though you have 32 gigs of RAM. Or yeah, RAM. even yeah, even though I have you know tons of RAM on my computer, I still like at points, you know, have I have to like start shutting down some apps because some people don't know how to uh, handle memory or whatever. Yeah. The, the other thing too, uh, I, I was thinking about this in the context of the node launcher is that um, software does not do a great job of communicating to the end user what the bottleneck in performance is. And so like people don't know when initial block download of Bitcoin is going on, why it's going slowly. Like they just don't know. And so I think that yeah. if they knew that like, hey, look, you are you're running a 5400 rpm hard drive that is dog slow uh and if you upgrade your hard drive initial block download will take an hour if you don't it's going to take a day and like you there's a way of communicating that to, to the user and then like suggest that you know they go buy this ssd or whatever and right Right. Someone might have like incredible fiber internet or whatever, yeah. but because they're working with terrible hardware yeah. and they're like, well, why, why is it? But they don't know it's terrible hardware. And it's like, why is it taking so long? It'd be very useful information for them. And then they, they like blame Bitcoin, right? Instead of, uh, and, and the number one rule of Bitcoin is always blame yourself. That's <laughs> I mean, it's a good rule for life, you know, extreme ownership. Yeah. So I want to write software that helps people blame themselves. <laughs> I think that's that should be Jocko's next book. Instead of extreme ownership, it should be blame yourself. Like have kind of the negative spin on it. <laughs> yeah, just uh, every day wake up, go look and look at yourself in the mirror, and just fuck you. Yeah, slap yourself in the face. <laughs> it's like a very deep version of extreme ownership. The opposite of affirmations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's not get too negative. Um, does the Lightning Network's public reputation? I, I don't know. Does it have a private reputation? Like, I, I feel like when I talk I, with people, people are pretty vocal about how they feel. Yeah. And if you talk to like the sea lightning team, it's not like their tune changes after a few beers, you know, like they're, <laughs> they're not like, Oh, oh yeah. Like Russell's not, oh man, I threw away my life on this shit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this, this sucks. I regret everything. We should have just increased the block weight limit. Um, <laughs> Okay. Anyway, uh, but I see what they mean. The the kind of the 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 wider audience reputation suffer at all due to the network having to having come to fruition 
in the same epoch as the Bitcoin mania of 2017. Will the Lightning Network stew in the background as a novelty until hyper-Bitcoinization happens? I don't um, think so. I think we, we yeah. hinted on this earlier, which is basically like um, this... 2017, uh, one of the the biggest pieces of of drama among Bitcoin detractors was uh, the high transaction fees. Um, And we got a taste for what transaction fees in the Bitcoin network were capable of. So in a way, it was actually like a great demonstration of what you would need Lightning for. Now, this, of course, assumes that you you have certain beliefs about the scaling of the network that, you know, there are limitations on, you know, the actual throughput, you know, how big blocks can be. But assuming that, you know, there are, are going to be limits. And this was, you know, a nice, a nice taste of what's to come because, you know, the future, if, if you thought $50, $50 uh, transaction fees were high, it very well could be orders of magnitude higher. And so um, coming about at that same time, I think, uh, you know, hey, we're already working on a solution. And already, like, it was just in just a few months, basically, you know, 2017, 2018, Lightning has has grown extraordinarily. It's absolutely incredible. Um, and now... Like we were just saying earlier, it's time. Like you can you can start opening channels now, so that if you are wanting to use Bitcoin uh, during the next bull run, uh, you won't ha- even have you you won't ever know that Bitcoin fees are that high because you're paying you know two satoshis just to route your payment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also I don't think that people associate Lightning with the price very strongly in their minds. Like, first of all, in December of 2017, if someone was like FOMO buying into Bitcoin, um, they might never have heard of Lightning like when they were doing that. Uh, and I don't think any of them would blame Lightning for the price crashing, like unless they're unless they're mentally ill, right? But uh, a reasonable person would know that those are two completely different things. Now, some people think that Lightning is going to cause the price to pump. Uh, you know, if if, if 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 lightning proves to be like an altcoin killer or whatever, like I, I think that's a little optimistic. Uh, yeah, I, I don't really. I I also don't stake my my sort of belief in Bitcoin on lightning. Oh yeah, no, no. no light, lightning is an amazing thing. Like it's you know, like we always joke of you know, Dianu. Like you know, Satoshi only had to give us sound money. But we also got this platform where we can build this amazing decentralized payment network on top of the sound money. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Um, what? Thanks, thanks, Satoshi. Yeah, thanks, Satoshi. I mean, <laughs> let's keep in mind, this is Satoshi's vision. He's the one who came up with the first payment channel technology. Uh, and uh, we're standing on the shoulders of a giant. Now, like, it's funny. I was, I was listening to Brian uh, Bishop's uh, interview on what Bitcoin did. And uh, it's a fantastic interview. Uh, go go le- listen to that uh, with Peter McCormack. Um, and yeah, there's just there's a lot of really smart people working on Bitcoin. And uh, it's incredible. Yeah, uh, I think that like it's it's funny how they first of all they're they're untouchable in the sense that like uh, you don't see a lot of criticism of them individually by name. 
you'll have people say like, oh, the core devs, uh, you know, the, they'll they'll broadly like criticize them, but they don't they don't even the people who say that often don't even know like who the specific core devs are, right? Like like Kyle uh, Salami usually, doesn't know who. Usually, who, it's just. Uh, you know, you, you'll you'll get the Adam back and the Gregory Maxwell, who are not even like contributors to Bitcoin Core. <laughs> like, I, I know that Greg Maxwell has done some code review, and like he's broadly speaking involved uh, with the uh, development process, but he doesn't. He's not like opening and closing pull requests and merging code in, and like really, right, You know, right. I mean, I I don't want to understate his his yeah. involvement because I mean, we we could go on. A very long time talking about all of the all of the ideas that he's introduced to Bitcoin, uh, but even then, you know that's all part of you know uh, collaboration. It's not just Gregory Maxwell in a vacuum. Yeah, um, it's a whole group of people who are who are brewing these ideas together. Um, yeah. So I also don't want to understate everyone else. It's like it, it's just an incredible community. This is what you get. Like you know, this is you know Vienna in the early you know nineteen hundreds or you know, uh, wherever else, like this is, you just get incredible people together. And as a group, they make great things as individuals. They're, they're doing their part. Well, you can kind of think of it as like, you know, throwing a rock in the pond and then you see kind of the waves ripple out from there. Like if, if Bitcoin as sound money is the rock, then that like first wave around it is like the, the core contributors, right? Um, and so I think that it eventually it'll bleed into like the artwork in society. Uh, you know, that's kind of like the, the furthest edge out on the pond. Like, uh, but the change starts with Bitcoin and then the ecosystem around it being. I don't know what you're talking about because I only listen to Zhao Tonged. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess you're right. I guess Zhao Tonged. Well, the, been, same song since 2013. That's all I, I've been I'm listening still, to. I'm still not wrong because the core contributors and Satoshi himself, Satoshi is the one who was touched by the sound money the first. So God knows what that did to him. Maybe that's what killed him. <laughs> Maybe that's what killed Hal Finney. Just, it wasn't the ALS. It was Bitcoin soundness. Just <laughs> overwhelming for, for a human. Now, I, you know I don't what? know how to respond to that joke. I don't know that it was a joke. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying, medically speaking, doctors have not proven that Bitcoin can't kill people. Uh, or they also have not, doctors have not proven that Ethereum does not cause cancer, right? So I think that there should be full disclosure whenever someone shills Bitcoin. Uh, uh, there Maybe are cancer you know, very, very troubling health effects of soy so uh it's all one package deal (laughs) it's funny i uh on twitter i saw this picture and it was this lady um and she had posted a picture of a bottle of vodka and then a bottle of soylent and then like a cup where it seems as though they've been mixed in and i was like and this is uh peak something (laughs) that's when the the ico uh has has really crashed yeah, you you pull out your bottle of Soylent and vodka and you drink your tears away. It's actually it's it that that right there is a Soviet drink in my opinion. It's like uh, an American Soviet drink. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's get back onto the topic of Bitcoin. 
Oh, so uh, we got a question in the chat from Matthew. Uh, what new or not uh, thing stuck out to you most about the roast beef plus Connor pod? Um, let's see. I'm trying to, I've got to, I've got to re-listen to it. Uh, I'm about to edit it, so I will re-listen to it. Um, maybe I'll have a better answer, but I don't know if they talked about it in our uh, podcast or if I'm remembering it from uh, when Roast Beef was on uh, Stefan Levera's podcast. You know, got got a shout out to him twice. Um, <laughs> but uh, Wumbo, so having larger channel capacities um, that I'm kind of excited about. I've I've been wanting to like open like a jumbo sized uh, channel with just like a well-connected node. Like I think that doing that with y'all's would make sense because uh-huh. y'all's is like connected to a bunch of people. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, also, it's, a, it's a sign of true friendship. You know, we talked yeah. about that on the podcast before about, you know, well-aged channels. Yeah. It's like, wow, they've had a jumbo channel open for 15 years. You know, speaking of friendship, I thought that the uh, the friendship between Connor and uh, Lalu was uh, nice to see. Now, I don't know if they if they put on a friendship uh, for you know when they're uh, doing podcasts, but I suspect that they do actually get along rather well uh, in in person. And uh, I, I have trouble imagining that Lightning Labs is a tumultuous workplace. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm just envious, actually. Uh, you know, they, they get to like work with their their friends uh, all day long on on Lightning, so that's that's awesome. Um, that stuck out to me the most. Yeah, they've got a, a good bromance going. Yeah, they, they're gonna be they're gonna be annoyed that like I'm I'm talking about like their personal business. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really liked. I mean, it was it was my personal question, but I was you know asking about macaroons. Uh, and and how that would be used in lightning because uh, you know that's like I had said in the podcast it was it was something that I'd come across a long time ago just unrelated so and I thought it was a very cool idea then and so I was excited when I saw that it was actually being used in something like real that I wanted to use um, because I wasn't seeing I mean I, I guess in the background macaroons are being used on some applications say through Google that I might use that I just didn't know um, was using it. Um, but to know uh, that it's being used in a, a cool application like Lightning. And not only that, being able to see, like, you know, I, I knew that it meant, you know, granular, you know, like a, a bearer certificate for very granular permissions for stuff. But, uh, you know the the depths to which he was describing the kind of granularity is is pretty wild um, and also exciting just to think of of you know that th- there continues to be the problem in in Bitcoin in general of just like you can't do pull transactions which uh, you know is a good thing yeah. that's why we're in Bitcoin uh, but at the same time we're so used to thinking of trading with one another in a pull fashion. Um, that it it takes thinking to to engineer something else, and with those kinds of macaroons doing really granular permissions, you know, for instance, I'm really interested to see what kind of uh, what kind of networks of lightning bots might people have um, in their arsenal. So it's like I I specifically set up so 
you know, people are talking about making lightning-based Patreon um, apps. Um, so maybe I have a bot, like a microservice that I deploy and I give it a very specific macaroon that gives it very specific uh, permissions to spend money in a certain way to certain people for that and like have just a whole army of micro lightning microservices that I can set up like here's what you're allowed to do go do it and right. set up Chrome jobs and, and all of that other stuff um, but basically be able to re-engineer that type of functionality where I can you know be because basically the poll it's almost like it's it's effectively me by like I am, you know, giving consent for them to to pull the money each time. This one, you just have to be doing it uh, more explicitly. Yep. So that 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 kind of ecosystem, I'm I'm really interested to see uh, what what flourishes. And maybe I'm totally wrong. Maybe that's not going to be much of a thing at all. But no, I think it is. I mean, it's it's part of like the the programmable money narrative. Uh, I think that. Uh, Lightning makes Bitcoin even more programmable than it was before. Yeah. And this will also, you know, to bring it back, like handcrafted apps, you know, people will just start making different, you know, uh, apps with various permissions of like, here are the type of Lightning transactions that I want you to be able to do. So so I was actually uh, on, on this note, I was thinking about, you know, we talked about like a chat app for um, for for Lightning Node operators, mm-hmm. and I was thinking that I could host I could host a a chat server where uh, you know how in LND's API it has the ability for you to sign and verify a signature uh, using your Node pub key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so essentially, I could make it so like. Okay, to be a member to to participate in this chat, you have to have a channel open with me, and every message you send to the chat is signed with your pub key, and so that way, like, you know, I have your identity established, uh, and then I I verify it on my end, and I make sure that you have a channel open with me, and then I I publish the uh, the chat message. Um, so I, I'm thinking like that wouldn't be too much engineering work to do, like. Um, and I could also, I was trying to think of how to like implement this like as a website, but really I was thinking to implement this in the node launcher. And so it's like- You there's automatically like, click it and create a channel with Pierre. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then if you click on like, you know, I need support, it drops you into our like chat room with other node operators. Um, oh, that's great. And then you can be, you know, paying for support time. Yeah, I, 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 you're blowing my mind. I didn't even think of uh, th- them. Uh, I mean, would it, wouldn't it be great to be able to like be like put a like, bounty on a, a a software engineer who's working on? It? It's like okay, well, I have an hour. Like you can pay me for like this hour's time right now. We can just sit down and have yeah. like. I actually live also with the handcrafted software and all this. What if part of that is also just you know, if you have more direct users then you get to know your users better and you get to do better handcrafted engineering um, to solve uh, specific problems for specific specific people. Um, It's all very exciting. (laughs) Uh, I have like a huge backlog of things that I want to write, software I want to write, and uh, only so many hours in the day. It's frustrating. Got to prioritize and execute. 
Yeah, and if if Bitcoin could moon, so that uh, software like yeah, more... but on the other hand, it's like if Bitcoin could just like take longer to moon, then that gives me more time. Uh, and and there's like eventually, I would imagine there will be other people interested in uh, contributing to my projects. So uh-huh. uh, we'll see. But I also, I live in a very um, like Orthodox Jewish neighborhood, and I've been thinking about opening up a, a coding camp for these kids uh, because they're like studying Torah all day. So they, they would know, you know how to study and memorize things. Uh, and so have them study like uh, the Python standard library and <laughs> like they study the Torah uh, and, and then uh, get them cranking on uh, my software. And, and Me, meanwhile, I'd be like, hey, look, I'm providing this education to you for free uh, because out of the goodness of my heart, uh, and here's like how you're going to apprentice. Meanwhile, somewhere there's Orthodox Jews. Saying, how do we get Bitstein to read the Torah like he reads the Python standard library? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Well, <laughs> I, I, I tried pitching uh, Bitcoin. I mean, you know, back in, well, I guess actually pretty much since 2012, I pitched Bitcoin to everyone I come into contact with. Um, and so the, there was a period of time where I was like, I was just around a lot of rabbis, a lot of Orthodox yeah. rabbis, pitching Bitcoin to all of them. I don't think any of them listened, though. You got to put him in touch with my rabbi, the Bitcoin rabbi. Yeah, he's he's my rabbi, too, now. Yeah, I've been telling <laughs> it. I've, I've been, like, calling him my rabbi to Morgan, and she's like, he's not your rabbi. <laughs> yeah, he is. What do you mean he's not? Uh but yeah, are there I, I, are there rules about like I don't I don't even I don't even I don't know, know what the, what are the rules? Uh, I don't know. I feel well, like you'll have to ask the Bitcoin rabbi. What are the rules for? <laughs> well, I I do know that like to to me it's if if I sum up the amount of time I spend speaking with rabbis, whoever's number one is my rabbi. Yeah. Uh, well, it's also like which community are you a part of? Yes. And it's like, well, you know, I'm, it doesn't have I'm, to be geographic. Yeah, be monetary. Look, we're living in a a panarchist, polycentric, you know, world now. People, um, you know, we're 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 online. <laughs> yeah, we're online. We live and in cyberspace. I get that he's like he he's an Orthodox rabbi, and I'm a, a Gentile. Um, I'm an but, Orthodox Bitcoiner, so yeah, exactly. <laughs> We, I think we, we can all get along. <laughs> we can all get along. Um, and I guess I guess to really make him my rabbi, I'd, I'd have to like, w- without converting, uh, I'd have to like ask him, you know, life questions like, oh, I, you know, this, this tragedy beset my family. How do I handle it? And then he would have like sagely wisdom to transmit to me. What, what, what would Maimonides think of this UTXO? <laughs> uh, you got to get merch and the Bitcoin rabbi together <laughs> to work on numismatics and Torah reading. That's the future we're building here. Yeah, yeah. At some point, we'll, we'll have to dive into uh, the the Bitcoin religion that will inevitably build. Yeah, and you know, like out of the five thousand listeners we have, there's. There's uh, at least a few vegans who like get upset when we talk about meat. Uh, there's probably also a few like alt right Nazis who get upset when we talk about our Bitcoin rabbi. 
<laughs> or, sorry, or atheist, guys, like, or <laughs> Bitcoin is for enemies. Exactly. I, I'm sure that we also have like uh, hard. Well, I don't know because like Safedine doesn't hold himself out as like the the Palestinian Bitcoiner, you know, like. And I, I'd give him. I actually give him a lot of credit for that. Uh, he doesn't really, uh, you know, wave it in people's faces. I, I always joke that uh, him and I are going to use Bitcoin to solve the Middle East crisis. Um, yeah. I've already proposed the two-stake solution. <laughs> one for me, one for him. Perfect. Everyone else can just bow down to their Bitcoin carnivore overlords. Th- that that is certainly more promising than Jared Kushner's nonsense. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see. You know, next year, the State uh, Department still hasn't reached out to me. I don't know why. Here, uh, you know, yeah. Well, they're busy building a U.S. embassy in Jerusalem when they should be building a Bitcoin embassy in Jerusalem. What are they thinking? Yeah, well, although, I mean, here's the thing, though. I don't think they should move the Bitcoin embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. I think they should just open another franchise. That's the big big controversy. Yeah. Like, I, it, it, it honestly, to me, it doesn't really matter where the U.S. embassy is. Like, put it, no, put it in Haifa, put it in, you know, the, the Negev desert. I don't really care. Um, what matters to me is that we have as many Bitcoin embassies as possible. Absolutely. Um, and you really shouldn't confine it to any one geographic area. You I know, at, at some point, it's seen like you're, you, you'll be on a flight that will crash in the middle of the Sahara Desert. And you'll be like walking without water for days. And then you'll see like an oasis with a Bedouin caravan. And on one of the camels, there's like a big Bitcoin symbol. And they're yeah, like, like, Bitcoin accepted. Yeah, Bitcoin accepts. And they've got like a Blockstream satellite. And they're like, oh, yeah, this is this is actually the Bitcoin embassy uh, in like this 1,000 square mile area of the Sahara Desert. You found it. Yeah, the satellite will just be on one of the camels. Yeah. Oh, that's perfect. I mean, this is this is how things are going to be. We've talked about the the Bitcoin caravans here with the RVs. Yes. Yeah, that's just the the Saharan version. There'll be camel versions of it. Yeah, for sure. Yes, the the Bitcoin nomads will be a, a powerful race, <laughs> powerful global race. Yeah, I you know I wonder um, if there's a history with gypsies and uh, gold. Uh, like, did they have? Did they just use gold because they would go from like European country to European country where like it would be different currencies? I, I don't know how that worked for their nomadic lifestyle, but maybe we could take some tips from that. <laughs> you know, minus minus the negative gypsy stereotype, <laughs> the Roma people are are good people and they get a bad rap, but that's only because of, of evil stereotypes. We welcome them. We we welcome them welcome them into Bitcoin as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and hey, you know, I mean, you can, I... you can make those same same jokes about my people. Oh you know, yeah, there's, there's plenty of of Jewish gold jokes. <laughs> um, and I I I don't know. Maybe we should be you know learning if if the stereotypes are true, then perhaps we should be learning about how we can better make use of Bitcoin um, to su- succeed as uh, you know a group moving into the future. Yeah, actually, uh, I guess. One of my attempts at uh, improving the French uh, stereotype was not surrendering to the New York agreement uh, and, and you know, putting <laughs> off a, a little bit of a Twitter fight over that. No white flag from uh, Pierre. No, no. Although, 
I'm sure I'm sure there'll be something that I eventually some kind of consensus change will appear that I disagree with and I will surrender. You know, actually, I, I did surrender to the Segway capacity increase. Um, yeah, you know, I, I remember a number of uh, people in in kind of, you know, our, our circles who were not really excited about Segway. But yeah. once it happened, it was like, yeah, OK. And they moved on. Yeah. You know, it's not a not the hill to die on for them. Got to stay on the shelling point. Exactly. Also, you could you could accept transactions only if they are not Segwit. Um, but I don't know. You can't get on Lightning with that Segwit. So yeah. Also, the issue. I mean, it, suddenly you're you're um, you're limiting your network. Yeah. And ability to use Bitcoin. You're you're limiting its own functionality because you're. <laughs> You're being too too much of a numismatic, I guess. With the yeah, I was thinking of a different word, but you know what I was thinking of. Um, <laughs> so let's see if there's another question for us to wrap up with. Um, someone asked to be a guest. Look, like it's kind of by invitation only. So um, there are people who have asked, and we've had them on, and I I like them a lot. Um, and really. The only reason I didn't send them an invitation is because I, I didn't think to, not because I didn't want them on the podcast. Um, but if, if like, it's funny, the people who message me about, like, can I be on the podcast? And I say no. Generally, it's because I've never heard of them before and I don't know that they're even Bitcoiners. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, I mean, first... look, here at, here at Noted Bitcoin Podcast, we have a handcrafted artisanal guest list. Um, we have strict KYC laws know your coiner yeah um it, it's vital that we know that you aren't a shit coiner um because we we don't want to harm the ears and sensitive souls of our bitcoin brethren the other thing too is uh don't have your like marketing pr person reach out to us and be like hey can we have you know my boss the ceo on your podcast it's like that that's a very i don't i don't know we'd uh, like to recommend this person working for a company that yeah. we're not even sure actually exists except in some like bizarre you know caribbean dark corporation pool thing or something uh so we have a question here that says can you please send me some money and then it has a lightning network invoice and i'm I'm almost. I, I kind of <laughs> want to decode it and see what it says, but uh, we'll we'll do that another time. I, I like it. who is it from? It's send underscore bitcoins. So name name checks out. Name checks out. <laughs> um, but it's probably it's expired by now, unless they set a very long expiration on on the invoice. But you know, I'm a, I'm I'm tempted to like try to send them money as long as it's not a large amount that they're requesting. Um, just because it takes effort to create a lightning network invoice and then to submit it to the podcast. So maybe this is a form of e-begging that has proof of work embedded in it. It also means that they like opened a channel and all this. So kudos. Although once, once uh, they've got hosted lightning solutions, then having a lightning invoice won't necessarily be proof of work. It'll just be that, Hey, you signed up on Coinbase lightning or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, and then there's there's stuff like you know, uh, Jewel and WebLN that kind of takes all that stuff into the background. 
Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I actually, I uh, on on my um, on the uh, oh man, it's getting late. We gotta we gotta stop the podcast when I'm uh, zoning out. But uh, on the routing node that I set up, uh, I created like a web page. I wanted to try out some WebLN stuff and uh, see see what the uh, what all the fuss is about because I've used I've used Jewel on on y'all's, which I don't think has WebLN implemented on it. Um, so it would be nice to have somewhere where I can like demo stuff and, and create a, create a test net version. But it's funny because mm. it's like, why, why bother creating a test net version when I'm asking someone to send me 50 Satoshis? <laughs> it's like, are you, are yeah. you, are we that cheap now? <laughs> hey dude, IRS. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, I guess that's fair. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, the WebLN stuff it excites me. It gives me a reason to perhaps uh, dip my toes back into React development. Um, it just seems like uh, great. there's going to be some incredible interfaces for web apps. I can just feel it. I mean, even just seeing some of the stuff, I know Lightning Koala is, is working on some new apps, uh, making use of it. Um, good things to come. Yeah. Everything's so exciting. Everyone... I, I, it's weird when I talk to uh, normies and they they ask me like, "How's Bitcoin doing?" With this sort of subtext of like Bitcoin has been you know failing. It's like, yeah, you, you, you doing okay? Yeah. And like I I forget because like yes, I know that the price is lower and all that. Um, but, but is it really like no? I, I, I feel <laughs> go like go back the, in time and it's like yeah, it's it's incredibly high. The the price <laughs> was not above three thousand dollars long enough for me to get used to it. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I it still feels high at three thousand dollars. Yeah, and then on top of that, it's just there, there's so much stuff going on yeah. that you know I, I don't I don't look at charts. I only look at all the stuff going on. Um, you know, all, all the cool uh, development. And yeah, I forget that people don't think Bitcoin is up to anything. Or or um, one, one awkward conversation I had with a relative was like, I was like, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm pretty focused on, on Bitcoin nowadays. And she was like, oh yeah, but um, I mean, that's, that's like obsolete, right? Like the blockchain technology is much more advanced than Bitcoin now. I was like, oh, okay. Well, thanks for informing me about this. Let me go explain that to the Bitcoin core contributors. Uh, and Have you submitted a BIP? Yeah. I'll let them know that, uh, hey, guys, this is obsolete. Why are you, why are you working on, uh, you know, Groot or uh, hey, Schnorr? That's like 20-year-old technology, dude. Oh yeah, I love that criticism too. <laughs> Why are Bitcoiners excited about Schnorr? It's like old old news right there. It's only like a twenty percent improvement. It's like, all right, do you know where we're at on Bitcoin? Like, we're at a point where twenty percent improvement is material. Yeah, twenty percent is incredible now. Yeah, we, we've gotten all the large percentages out of the way. Uh, so at this point, twenty uh, percent means you know a lot. <laughs> Uh, we, we get off on sub percentage improvements. Something I was, uh, I, I was, uh, I guess this will be the, the parting thought, but I was, um, I was 
I was having this shower thought of, are there any altcoins that try to compete with Bitcoin on its own terms in the sense of uh, they try to minimize the um, global broadcast impact of a transaction? So I know there's Mimblewimble, and that has gotten some excitement from Bitcoin-ish people. Uh, I haven't really dug into it, but... Uh, I'll leave it as a question maybe to our audience of like, have you heard of any altcoins that instead of trying to advertise how many TPS they can do, uh, they try to advertise how efficient their node software is? Mm, Yeah, yeah. So like what are material differences from Bitcoin? Like actual scaling in the sense of changing like the O-N, you know, the big O notation uh, and having a big O notation that is better than Bitcoin's. Yeah. Uh, I mean, is, is that something that's possible? Well, I mean, that's, like, that's, yeah. that's the question, right? It's a, I'm, I'm under the assumption that if you want to do decentralized, like a decentralized ledger, you have to have ON squared because everyone has to see everything else. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, you know, like you're saying, just better node software where it's just, you know, like we are just this much better at you know handling. I mean, well, Mimble for example, Wimble, even like member Wimble is a good a good example. I think. I mean, I think that basically would be the example because they're trying to yeah. say, well, we do scripts in a different way, such that you know the block, uh, the 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 blockchain can actually potentially decrease in size because you no longer need certain pieces of data. Um, for for complete verification and stuff like that, or I guess it's more just like consol- the the way things are consolidated. Um, so, yeah, I mean there there could be other other innovations on that kind of front, uh, but I, I don't know if O notation as far as like inherent network properties are going to change. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's like. Hmm. Maybe in terms of you know different bandwidth stuff and verification and whatnot, but okay. Here, here would be the clever way of being like, our our ICO is not going to go fund like a nonsense ecosystem distrib- decentralized application fund. No, what it's going to do is it is going to fund the installation of fiber optic cable to people who are you know owners of the token. And then yeah. that way, but <laughs> the problem is that that's like, that's not exclusive to your token, right? And so yeah. Bitcoin and would benefit the problem from too that. is uh, they would have to deliver something. And uh, well, I software is hard enough, like delivering physical uh, fiber optic, forget about it. Yeah. I mean, Google hasn't even managed to deliver fiber optics to me. So yeah. Yeah. Where are you at, Sergey? Uh, he, uh, and, uh, actually it's funny on this topic, uh, man, we keep dragging this on. It's going to be a long <laughs> Q and a, uh, I had lunch a while ago with one of our mutual friends. Um, and he was telling me about his idea of, um, essentially having FCC, uh, spectrum, uh, having a real time like market for it. And Interesting. So, uh, you could do this with Lightning, and essentially, you can be paying for Spectrum, you know, on an as-needed basis, and you have a wide range of Spectrum. 
it's been a long time since I've dug into that realm of sort of libertarian property theory. Yeah, it's it's a one tough. of the libertarian solutions for uh, stuff like uh, airwaves is one of the common examples. Um, I guess it, it would would air itself, the atmosphere, go in that same category. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a very tricky part of um, libertarian uh, kind of property rights analysis of air. I mean, it, it, uh, ocean is arguably easier, although that has difficulties to it as well. Um, but figuring out how we privatize all of this uh, is, is challenging. But yeah, I, but, I, but to hear that there's yeah. like, it, like that, that's an interesting, you know, place to start. Um, I, I'd love to hear more that, about that idea sometime. Yeah, because even if it's government like instituted, um, if they set it up so that they are establishing property rights and essentially you know, allowing people to... They had one job and they did it. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Well, well, we'll see. We'll see how that comes along. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. If you want to listen to these uh, rambling Q&A podcasts and podcasts that we record with our guests, uh, if you want to listen to that live, join our Patreon. Uh, I think you can you can join our Patreon for any amount. Uh, even if it's less than $10, I know up there I have like the lowest tier at $10, but you can do like $1 and uh, it'll still give you access to the live uh, episodes. I don't, I don't actually put a minimum tier on that um, mm -hmm. just because really it's like, I want to nudge people to giving us more money, obviously. Uh, but at the same time, I do want people to just have access to things if they want it. Um, and for people who don't want to use Patreon, you know, get in contact with us. We'll, yeah, well, we'll on, on Noted.org, we have a BTC Pay server set up. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a Noted.org slash contribute. Uh, you can contribute on-chain any amount. Um, I need to get our BTC Pay server set up with LND at some point uh, so that we like, can... I, I think it is with the Nakamoto Institute. So oh. it should be, and like, you should be able to enable it. Point I should test that. that. Yeah, that's the point. Point being that uh, you know, send that, and there's also an email field um, when you uh, give money. That's optional. You can type in junk if you want to. I think it can also be blank. Uh, but if you do share your email, then we know how to get into contact with you specifically, and we know you were the one who paid. Um, yeah, I can. I think I can manually. And... I think I can manually add people to the Patreon. So if you want to contribute BTC, I'll manually add you to the Patreon. And, and soon uh, enough, we'll have we'll have better solutions. Um, yeah, I was looking at there's Tallycoin uh, is kind of trying to be a Patreon replacement. Um, I just don't know that it didn't seem like it was at feature parity yet mm -hmm. um, or at UX parity. Uh, the other thing too is that I want to have like. It doesn't really make sense to me to be like, oh, Patreon's bad. I'm going to use this web wallet over here that's going to have my private keys and that's going to like have like no privacy or anything like that. Like, I would actually rather self-host my own version of Patreon uh, yes. or just use Patreon. Like, yeah. the in-between is of like interesting, but to me personally, uh, not not fitting my needs so we'll see. I'm going to keep iterating on this experiment of 
uh, hosting my own lightning node and see uh, yeah. what I come up with there. Just, uh, don't don't let uh, Patreon keep you from uh, giving us money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't let that be an excuse. Um, no, but seriously, if you, if you find the podcast valuable, uh, we've been going on for about a year now. Uh, so there's a good backlog of, of episodes that you can send to people if they start getting interested in Bitcoin. Um, and yeah, you know, help, help support the show and, uh, get more episodes out. Although we're going to make episodes regardless, but it's just nice. It's nice to get our, our word work appreciated, uh, monetarily. It, and Hey, it helps, it helps pay for stakes. It does help pay for stakes. Um, oh, I made the amount we earn public. Uh, I, I hope that's okay with you. Is it? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. So r- right now it's 500 bucks a month, which you know, we split that into two, 250 a month. So that's about like um, $8 a day or something. Like the goal is to get to like $15 a day so that you're paying for a, a steak a day is, uh, I I don't know if my math is completely wrong on that. I'm, uh, I'm running low on, on sleep. Depends um, on where you're buying. Huh? Depends on where you're buying. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, well, let's not get into a discussion about stake prices, but there's no, it's funny. It's like that market. Why is that so inefficient? Uh, there should be like much more transparency in pricing there. And there should be like a global stake price. Uh, yes, yes, there should. And so, I actually, I still want, yeah. I, 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 if I, if, if anyone has a good API for stake prices or beef prices in general, I want to make a real-time Bitcoin chart of the price of uh, beef and Bitcoin. Yeah, that to would me, be that's the, that's the fundamental, uh, you know, index. The two, the, yeah, the two crypto primitives, is they're, they're called. <laughs> um, yeah, well, so we're trying to do an episode every week, uh, and. That might get screwed up with the holidays, or we might actually do an episode in person in Austin, uh, and we can even we can record a, an even longer like live Christmas show. You know, maybe like lots well, of eggnog flowing. Hold on, you don't you don't celebrate Christmas. So I have nothing going on on Christmas. You want to come over to my place on Christmas? Let's do it, uh, and we'll obviously hang out with my family, but also uh do a live christmas noted podcast um yeah yeah that'd be, that'd be fantastic all right we'll do that right. i'll, I'll adopt it <laughs> i won't make an Anne frank joke <laughs> promise all right before before google kicks us off the stream uh uh yeah th- thanks everyone for for listening to the show and uh, michael do you want to say bye i i can speak for both of us but oh oh yeah i thought you were just saying bye <laughs> well you, you could also say a, follow I'm, me on twitter at bitstein what he said did it yeah <laughs> uh and yeah i'll stop the stream now you got to play the game and yeah, sometimes well, even from you, when you just said to me, you know, you said, well, you know, sometimes you, it's, it's not right to turn a blind eye on things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sometimes you have to, if you want to get yourself to a position, like my, 
Well, it seems to me that you're making a distinction between discipline and strategy, like, and 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 like impulsive moral responding. You know, like let's say that you are in a situation where you have a boss who's intolerable, and maybe what you'd like to do, you know, the resentment is built up over five years, and you'd like to go in there and and yell at him, and tell him everything you think, and you think, well, that's the truth. It's like, well. It's actually, it's not a very sophisticated truth because you're doing a shallow and impulsive analysis of the situation. Like, it would have been the case that you've already compromised yourself in 500 ways. And, and I'll get back to the playing the game issue because you do have to discipline yourself too. And, and you have to discipline yourself to, to some degree by allowing yourself to do arbitrary things that are part of the system, right? That's a necessary part of discipline. And discriminating that from um, compliance with unethical activity mm-hmm. is very difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard situation. But let's say you're, you're, you're going to counsel someone who has an intolerable boss and they come in and they're right at the end of their tether because maybe that's why they come for counseling. They say, I really want to tell that son of a bitch what I think of him. And you think, well, wait a second here. Okay, first of all, you've already eradicated from the list of reasonable possibilities that decision by failing to say small things that you could have said all the way along. And it's not like you can just all of a sudden blurt all of that out now and that wipes the slate clean and that constitutes truth. It's too unsophisticated. So let's think, okay, so what is it that you want? Well, I don't want this job anymore. It's like, okay, now let's actually have a strategy about this then. You don't want this job anymore. Can you get another job? Well, I, I don't think so. Well, so you can't just quit. Well, no, I can't because then I don't have any money and my family depends on the job. It's like, okay, so you can't just stop this. That's not a viable solution. You go out of the frying pan into the fire or, you know, you sac- you you substitute one set of unethical actions for another set of unethical actions that are even worse. That's not helpful. All right, so let's start thinking about what exactly it is that you want. It's like, well, maybe I want a better job. I want to work for someone who's more reasonable. Okay, so what's stopping you? Well, I don't have my CV in order. My resume isn't up to date. Well, why is that? Well, I haven't done it for five years and I don't like doing it. Well, why is that? Well, because I'm kind of embarrassed about it because it has holes in it and it shows where I'm lackadaisical and where I'm not prepared. It's like, okay, how many things are there like that? Well, there's a bunch of things and they're all associated with how I've procrastinated in the past. It's like, okay, what are we going to do to rectify that? So I'll say to people, why don't you update your CV? That's what we'll do first because if you're going to look for a different job, I'm not saying you're going to look for a different job. But if you're going to look for a different job, you're not going to unless your CV is updated. Yeah. And so why don't you're also you go, not going to unless you can get a good recommendation from this boss yeah, that's yeah, a tyrant. Yeah, and well, so that's you, right. There's, you got to play the game. There's sometimes. 10 strategic actions that you're going to have to take in order to make yourself able to move laterally or up. And the truth is, isn't going in and yelling at your boss and telling him everything you think about him. The truth is trying to figure out the very, very difficult process of how you put yourself in a better position. And that, that, like, one of the things that's quite fun about this lecture tour is the letters that I receive or the stories that people tell me about switching jobs because they do realize that they're, and I often talk to people about consulting their resentment. Resentment's a really useful emotion, like it's really dangerous. Um, It's one of the most dangerous psychological states, I believe. But it's unbelievably useful because resentment usually only means one of two things. It either means 
quit whining and and take it on because you're immature or it means you're allowing yourself to be taken advantage of and you have something to say or do and so you want to sort out the first part and find out if you're just being immature and you can think that through and you can talk to people um but and then but if it's the second it's like no you've compromised yourself in a variety of ways and you have to figure out how to get out of that and if you're resentful that's evidence that you have in fact done that okay so now that issue would be well how can you set your life up so that you can be without that resentment and so that's when you start to develop a strategy for you know and and it it, there's actually an adventure in this too i mean i've had a number of clients who have been in jobs that they didn't like at all and you know they were tyrannized by someone for example and they were also working below their hypothetical level and we'd put together a plan it's like okay you're going to make three times as much money in in five years that's the plan but like that's not going to be simple so you there's education you got to educate yourself maybe formally because you've got holes you got to fix up your resume you've got to you've got to overcome your fear of being interviewed you have to start sending out like 50 resumes a week on a regular basis and be prepared for a 99% rejection rate you you're going to look for a different job it's probably going to take 6 months to a year and almost all of that is going to be rejection and you got to steal yourself from for that and prepare and maybe this is going to be a three-year process it's no trivial thing but you know it's almost inevitably I can't remember a single example where the consequence of that very careful detailed strategic thinking wasn't a massively substantive improvement in socioeconomic positioning and a great movement towards a an on improving trajectory and 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 there's advantages even along the way because even before that happens the fact that you're taking genuine steps to put yourself in a better situation immediately starts to reduce your resentment even if it isn't having positive consequences to begin with but you have to be realistic about it it's like look it's going to be hard to update your cv because you're embarrassed about it and you should be right it's no wonder you're embarrassed about it and then well of course you don't want to go be interviewed because you're not very good at it and and there's holes in your story and and you're and you can be made nervous easily and you're not a very good advocate for yourself so there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done there and and then you have to withstand the 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 punishment of being constantly rejected when you apply for jobs because the baseline rejection rate you know for the for the typical job applicant is like 99%. It's like the rejection rate for everything. Is this going to work? No. But if you do it 100 times, it might work once. That's and that's all you need. That's exactly it. You, you you only need that once. And so the truth there isn't to yell at your boss. The truth there is to get your life together. Yeah.